Robert Frost wrote these words, nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold, her earthly leaves a flower, but only so an hour, then leaf subsides to leaf. So Eden sank to grief. So dawn goes down today, nothing gold can stay. Words that we probably heard growing up in a classroom, words that we might have heard once again when we were in college, but maybe not ever come back to and thought about the depth of what he was writing there, the fact that the seasons come and the seasons go, that time marches on, that time changes. And King Solomon, through the words of the teacher, this character that he wrote through in the book of Ecclesiastes talks about the march of time in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 today as we continue a thoughtful, pensive, introspective look at life through King Solomon. I want to welcome you guys here. Thank you so much. For those of you who are here in the house, thank you so much for being a part of Hilton Head Island Community Church. And I want to thank those who are joining online. Why don't we here in the house give it up for those of you guys who are joining online. Thank you so much for being online. If you are online today or even if you're in the house today on the website, you'll see the notes. I don't think there's any time or I guess any Sunday that it's best to talk about the march of time. We got an extra hour of it last night. You, you feel it? Some of you are like, absolutely not. I don't feel it at all. We got an extra hour last night. We're marching up to this election that is one of the kind of most angst-filled periods of time, it seems, in America. I don't know, at least in my lifetime, it seems that way anyway. We have the seasons that have changed even in the last 24 hours. It seems like two or three times, and from what I understand, tomorrow it's going to change again. Time marches on. And with all of the things that have happened, all the changes that have taken place in our world, it seems like almost hourly in 2020, it's just not a better time to look into what God's word says about the march of time and how we can understand God's timing in what the world throws at us, what life brings us, what situations may arrange for us. I love change. I love the change of seasons. I remember growing up in Florida where we didn't have much of a change of season. And uh, I, I love living here. We at least have some change of season. And the older I get, the, the more times that fall comes around. And I, I just look forward to those leaves, and which we have in like December around here. But we the change of season and the leaves and the cool, cold weather or the cool weather. And it seems like every year that I get older, uh, the more it comes around, I, I have about a day of it. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready for summer again. I don't know if you guys are with me on that. Uh, it seems like the older I get, maybe my blood's getting thinner or something. But I love the change of season. But I would like to capture time as it relates to my family. I don't know about you. I'd love to freeze time. My kids are 16 and 13 now, and 
there are so many different snapshots I have of our kids at different phases. We've got the, the Atlanta phase and the New York City phase and this long now 13, going on 14 years of, of Hilton Head phase. And there's these snapshots that we have of our lives. There's a snapshot that Cynthia and I have for the nine years before we had kids there are these snapshots that we have from college and from the time gone by, maybe a different place that we lived. And we have these snapshots of our lives. And as much as I love the medium of video, and as much as I love to see the world come alive from a day ago or a century ago on video, a snapshot is the best thing in the world, isn't it? Facebook took advantage of this, didn't they? with the memories. You guys are on Facebook, you know the memories function that every day, or it seems like every day, I guess it's not quite every day, all of a sudden there's a memory that pops up and they play on our emotions, don't they? They play on our emotions. The fact that we think in the past and we think about a more joyful time or a happier time or maybe a time that was more sad or more difficult or you were more angry or whatever that may be when we have those snapshots it brings back the memories of what was and it fills us with certain emotions and certain thoughts and we have a picture and we find whatever it was we were thinking about or feeling at that time well the teacher or King Solomon here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 talks about time. But I want to once again put in context of, of what he's talking about. Because in chapters 1 and 2, Ecclesiastes, what King Solomon does through the teacher is he essentially gives a list of his accomplishments. And he gives a list of his experiences. And he basically says that all of these things are vapor. It's meaningless. The word in Hebrew is hevela. Meaningless. We look at it and we put value to it, but we go and grasp it and there's nothing there. And what we miss sometimes about Ecclesiastes, and this is just like a little lesson within a lesson here right now, is we miss what he's trying to communicate because he began in, in chapters 1 and 2 and 10 different times in those two chapters. He uses the phrase under the sun or beneath the sun, and then he ends by talking about it being apart from God. And so it's true that apart from God or being here on this earth, the things that we focus on that are earthly, that aren't heavenly, that aren't eternal in nature, if we just look at those things apart from God, it is meaningless. It is a vapor. Here one moment, gone the next. And in fact, it would be so easy to walk through the rest of Ecclesiastes thinking that the lessons that he's giving are scriptural, biblical, godly lessons. But if we don't remember that what he's talking about is under the sun, we're going to miss the fact that he's given the caveat that these things are true apart from God. And so the teacher moves from, in chapters 1 and 2, giving his a list of his accomplishments and his experience to giving his observations on life in chapters 3 and 4. And today, we're going to really drill down in chapter 3, and I'm going to let you do some self-study on chapter 4. I'll explain that in a little bit. I want to give first and foremost a summary of verses 1 through 8 by drawing your attention to a band called The Birds years ago wrote a very familiar song. I won't sing it. I'm not going to play it this morning. Don't worry. 
but it's a song that we all have heard turn 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 and they essentially went to they essentially went to to write the song they went to this chapter that we're going to look at and while i'm not going to read all of it i'm going to read the first verse and i want you to know that they wrote that very familiar song that there's a time for everything everything on earth from king solomon from the teacher it's taken right off the page of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. And throughout Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, there are two different words that are used for the word time. And even though this is written in a different language, it'll help us understand that time is given two different words in the Greek language. One is chronos, the other is kairos. Chronos is where we get chronology from. It's literally the moment going by, the seconds ticking off the clock, the minutes that are gone, the hour that's gone, the days, weeks, months, and years that are gone. It's chronology, chronos. But there's another word, and it's the word that the Greeks got from this Hebrew word that the author uses here, the teacher gives us here, and that's kairos. And kairos is a word that means chapter or season. And so while the birds in our society may view Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and we say turn, turn, turn because time keeps marching on, the author is trying for us to understand that there is a season in our lives or a chapter of our lives for everything under the sun. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1. Let's take a look at this introduction to this passage the teacher says for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under the sun and i think that we don't understand sometimes that god allows us to go through different chapters of life he allows us to go through different seasons of our lives good and bad joyful and ugly you know hopeful and something that is in great peril he allows us to go through those seasons for a reason the problem is and what ecclesiastes is telling us what the teacher is telling us is that our reaction is to push back against that season we may not like the current season that we're in or we may not like a season that we're about ready to go through we may not like a certain circumstance that we may have had or we may be facing or we may be in right now but there's a season for it and our job is not to push back on that season but to understand that god is the god of time For those of you that are home, I'll ask you maybe to think about this for a moment. I'll ask you who are in the room. How many of you, I think there's kind of two different types of people. Um, there are some of you who, who may, you don't have to raise your hand, by the way. You can just think about this um, and maybe write it down. There are some of you who think back to the past. You think back on a time gone by, and you think with great nostalgia. You, you romanticize what's in the past. You think about the past, and you dwell on the fact that you had a joyful time in that particular season, that you had an exciting time in that particular season. It was adventurous and you loved it, or whatever may be. And so you're sad because you don't have that time anymore. And, and that's one extreme. The other extreme is some of you may look back in the past and you may have great regret about a season gone by. 
And so you dwell upon the fact that you, you didn't take advantage of the time or you didn't capitalize on that opportunity. And, and I want you to know that when you and I are focused on the past, whether it's nostalgia and romance on one end of the spectrum or regret on the other end of the spectrum about the past, that means we're not focused on what God is giving us now. And I love nostalgia. I love thinking about a day gone by. But when we dwell on those days gone by, when we dwell on the past, when we think about that good season in our world or in our country or in our lives, and we may think about it with great nostalgia or regret on the other end of the spectrum, it means that our focus isn't on the season, the kairos that God has given us now what he maybe wants us to learn. And so today, I'm sure there are many different seasons that are represented in this room and represented by those of you who are watching at home. Maybe you've just entered a new season that was unexpected. Maybe you've entered a season of unemployment or underemployment, and it was wildly unexpected. I want you to know that God has a reason for you going through that, whatever it is. Maybe you had to retire a little bit sooner than you thought. There's a reason that God has you going through that. Maybe you find yourself single or single again, or maybe you think that I've been single for way too long, and you're like, I, I know, you know, it might be single again, and you're going through that, and it's a struggle. I want you to know that that is your kairos. That is God has a reason for whatever it is you are going through today each season wherever it is some of you are parents again some of you are thinking i should be a grandparent and yet circumstances have arranged themselves where i find myself being a parent again maybe you're an empty nester maybe that happened way too soon i'm going to be facing that in a few years and i don't like it not one bit but God has a kairos, and he has a reason, and it's ordained by him. Check out what he says in verses 9 through 11 as he lists those different things, that there's a time and a reason for every season, and he gives this kind of list of things that we're not going to focus on today. I want you to focus on verses. We're going to take a really close look at verses 9 through about 14. He says this, what gain has the worker from his toil? It's a question that he asked in chapter one and chapters one and two. He says, I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And in one of my favorite, most beautiful verses in all of scripture, he says this, he, God, has made, I want you to say this with me, even if you're at home, that next word, he has made, what? what's that next word? Everything. Everything beautiful in its time and then in a very ironic sense he says also he has put uh, also he has put eternity in man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end I don't know about you I, I'm the kind of person that I, I would love for God to allow us to have a picture into the future wouldn't you love that wouldn't you have loved that? I remember that particularly being true in college. Like, what am I going to do with my life? Because I had delusions of grandeur that I would be a professional golfer. <laughs> and if you played golf with me, 
thank you to those who are laughing out loud right now. Uh, thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> if you played golf with me, you know that probably wasn't in my future. Like, I had delusions of grandeur, but I remember in college specifically thinking, I, I just wish God could give me a picture of what tomorrow is going to be like, what I'm going to do with my life, who I'm going to marry, the kids that I'll have, where will I live, what will I be doing in different decades. And you know what? As much as we want to see that in the future, maybe even especially right now with our world, when are they going to come out with a vaccine? When are we going to get this disease figured out? What is going to happen in 48 hours with this election? As much as we want to know that, and as much as our desire there is, is to have a picture into the future, there's a reason that God has put eternity in our hearts and yet blinded us from it. Because if we knew about tomorrow, we wouldn't have the opportunity to trust him to a greater degree. He wants our full trust. And if we have a picture into the future, then we trust in ourselves. Trust in our experience and our accomplishment and our observations. So there's this ironic thing that happens when he says he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And it's hard, I get it, because we're controlled by time. There are seasons, there's a kairos that we want to speed up time, like the season that you find out that you have a sickness or a loved one has a sickness or you get a call about cancer. I've been there, I've experienced that in multiple different ways. Or you find out that there's the potential for that job loss or that you're having difficulty with a relationship and maybe it's even your spouse and things are, are, are going south. And so there's a time when you look at the future and you wonder what in the world is God doing and you want it to speed up. You want to get through it. And then there's a time when you think about it, I just want to freeze it. I want to, I want a snapshot of this and I want to live in it right now because it's so beautiful. And folks, here's the thing, church, Christ follower, here's the thing. We are mastered by time. But God, our God, is the master of time. He is the master of time. And so there's a certain amount of tension, yet a certain amount of trust that we can have knowing that we can't see the future, but also knowing that the God that we serve, the God in whom we place our trust is the master of time and the master of season and that he has a purpose in each season. See, part of our problem is that we don't view our life and life itself with purpose. We don't view the fact that God has a purpose for each season, that he has a purpose for you and your life and you and your family and you and your career and you and your vocation and you and your service in your community and in your church and in your world. 
We don't view it with purpose. And I want you to hear this today. I want you to hear this, those of you who are at home and maybe struggling in life right now, and those of you who are here in the house today, I want you to hear this, that God created you with purpose. He created you for a purpose. And so whatever your kairos is, whatever your season is now, it is for a purpose. Because God is the master of time. And so rather than kicking back and striving to hurry up or slow down the, the march of time, we who are followers of the king should lean into what he's doing with our lives, with every season with every season. Ecclesiastes verses 12 through 13, we get a glimpse into the teacher's instructions on what happens when we live under the sun, when we live apart from God. He says this, I perceive that there is nothing better for them, talking about people, just talking about people in general, to do than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is the gift of man. <laughs> now Ecclesiastes, the teacher here, Solomon, King Solomon, is not saying that it's wrong for us to be joyful and to do good as long as we live and to enjoy pleasure in life. That's not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that if we have a viewpoint in our lives of God's season that he's got us in right now or the next season that might be difficult or the next season that might be up and down, if we have a viewpoint that is apart from God in those things, that that's all we have to look forward to. That's it. Just enjoyment of life. Just doing a little bit of good. And just enjoying the pleasures of life. That that's it. That's it. I was talking with someone the other day about the fact that uh, Ecclesiastes, especially right out of the gate in the first few chapters, is a bit depressing. It's a bit overwhelming, a bit existential. And this person said to me, yeah, but he tells us to enjoy life. <laughs> and he does. But what the teacher is saying here is, is that when we live our lives apart from God, the only thing that we have to live for is enjoyment. And my question to us in a year that has been wildly difficult, wildly strange beyond even comprehension, is what happens when what we enjoy about life is taken from us? The teacher is saying here that the only thing that we have to look forward to apart from God is the enjoyment of life. What happens when it's taken from us? What happens when we have to live our lives for two months inside? What happens when we have to wear these masks that we all hate so much but we know is necessary? What happens when 
What we enjoy about life is stolen from us because of circumstances in our lives, whether we've created them or whether we've been forced upon us. You see, life apart from God, I've experienced this before, life apart from him, life without his viewpoint of eternity is really depressing when the enjoyment of life is gone. And that's all we have to live for. But, but, life with him. It's purposeful. It's purposeful. It's planned out. It's for a reason. Every single part of it. Life above the sun or with God tells us that we can have a measure of understanding of what he is doing because we lean into whatever his plan and whatever his purpose and whatever his path is for our lives. And then in verse 14 and 15, the teacher says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Man, we can take solace in that. We can take comfort in that. Whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. And he says this, and maybe for some of you, this is the verse that you need to live by, especially over these next 48 hours as we head into this election. And you might have a lot of fear and anxiety about the election, and I understand that. I really get that. I really sympathize with that. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God sees what has been driven away. Unless you... unless you think this is some sort of fatalistic, like, predeterminism of some sort. It's not. It's not. It's simply leaning into the sovereignty of God. With whatever chapter of life you're facing, with whatever chapter of life we are faced with. And Solomon, I think, says here that there's a plan that God has for our life. There's a timing that God has for our life. And there's a path that he is going to allow our lives to take. And I want to tell you, church, that here's the recipe. I think it's a threefold recipe for leaning into God in terms of the kairos, in terms of the season that you're facing first and foremost. True enjoyment in life is found when we align with God's plan. True enjoyment in life is found when we align with God's plan. When we lean into whatever his plan is for our lives. Man, I thought I was going to be a professional golfer. That did not work out. <laughs> then I thought I was going to be a lawyer. That did not work out. And I thank God every day, and no offense to the lawyers who are listening, <laughs> I just wouldn't have been a good one. You may have had a dream, and that dream was crushed, but I want to tell you that at some point in time, you who are God followers, you who are Jesus followers, at some point in time, you can look at whatever that dream was that was crushed and go, you know what? I trust that God has a plan. And I have to trust whatever that thing is right now. And the second thing is, is that true enjoyment in life is found when we embrace God's timing when we embrace his timing that's what this chapter is really all about it's really all about embracing god's timing 
I don't know why his timing is in some things delayed. I don't know why his timing in some things seems to speed up. I don't know why, like, the thing that we don't want comes early and the thing that we want now comes later. But we who are God's children, we who are followers of him, can find true enjoyment not from the stuff of life, but from embracing his timing. And then lastly, true enjoyment in life is found when we follow God's path, whatever that path may end up looking like in our lives, whatever journey that path takes, whatever turns and twists that path takes, whatever forks the road has for us, true enjoyment in life is found when we align ourselves with God's plan, not the other way around, when we embrace God's timing, and when we follow his path. And then the teacher goes into a discussion in verses 16 through 22 about how there's the possibility that if we don't follow God's path, if we don't embrace the season that he has us in right now, that we essentially take advantage of justice and righteousness and we're really no different than the beasts of the field. And I want to encourage you to take a deeper look at Ecclesiastes 4. It's going to be in our Roots Guide this week that you can find on hiltonheadislandcc.org slash roots and find out more information about chapter 4 as we won't have time to discuss and open up all of that today. But I want to challenge some of you who may be asking some difficult questions in life right now. Maybe you're finding yourself saying, I think it might be too late for this in my life. Maybe you've been saying, time doesn't seem to be on my side right now. Maybe you've been saying that things seem to be moving too fast or too slow. Or maybe you're saying, I can't keep up with what's going on in my life. There's a great little section of chapter 4 that's going to help you with that. Maybe you're asking some difficult questions like, I feel like I'm controlled by time how, how can I not be controlled by time maybe you feel like you're asking the question uh, time seems to be running out and can I can I buy more time maybe you feel like things are being forced upon you or life is out of control I want to ask you today to stop for a moment stop for a moment and be honest with yourself about your level of trust in God's sovereignty with whatever you're facing personally or the way that the world may look right now or may look in a few days. And ask yourself, are you truly trusting in the sovereignty of God? The one that King Solomon with all of his experience and success and everything else said he's the one that makes it beautiful in his time. I'm going to ask Cynthia to come on up here, and I'm going to ask Steve Donovan, one of our elders, to come up on, here on stage. One of the reasons that I wanted us to consider Ecclesiastes right now is because of the year that's in the rearview mirror. Um, let's face this, whether you're at home or here in the house, let's face this, 2020 has been a pretty bad year. 
It just has. If we look at the outside circumstances, it has. And we're faced with an election on Tuesday, and we don't know what's going to happen. Whatever your candidate is, whoever your person is, whatever you view as the good for this country, I realize that Tuesday, for all of us, is kind of up in the air. There's a lot, a lot of uncertainty surrounding that. The violence we've seen, the deep racism that has become apparent. And from a macro standpoint, from a large-scale standpoint, it's a lot of reason to be afraid of this world. But church, we don't have to be afraid. We can trust in God's sovereign plan in our lives and in the world. We don't have to give in to that fear and that anxiety. We can trust in His sovereignty. We can trust that his, he has our best in mind and he has this world's best in mind. We can remember to trust God in those moments when we don't feel like we can trust anything. And I want to encourage you over these next few days, especially, to do whatever you can to pursue peace and to promote unity in our world, regardless of what may come. And while today's message is, for some of you, intensely personal, and it's caused you to take a close look introspectively at your life, it's also very real for us as a nation, as God's people, and for us as the world, as humanity. So I've asked Steve to join me in prayer this morning as we pray for our country in this context, with this in mind, this Kairos that we're in right now, this Kairos that we'll be in in a few days. And Steve, would you begin to pray for us and to pray for our Absolutely. nation? Absolutely. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, uh, we just thank you for this uh, day. We thank you, Father, for the holy word that you've given us. Uh, we thank you, Father, for your church. And Father God, we thank you for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for salvation. Father, with all our hearts, we thank you for the incredible freedom we have as a nation under you. And Father God, we thank you for the privilege we have to be able to elect and influence the leaders, the men and women who are chosen to govern our country. Father God, we lift those leaders up right now, past, present, and especially future. We lift these leaders up at every level of law, na national, state, and local. And we pray for these leaders. We pray, Father God, uh, that they are in your hands. We pray with thankfulness for their service, and we pray, Father God, that they seek your wisdom to perform their job. Father God, we acknowledge your sovereignty, and we know, Father God, that you are in control. Father God, when things seem to be peaceful, we know you're in control. Father God, when things seem to be chaotic, we know, too, that you're still in control. And, Father God, when it seems like the world is falling apart, we know that you're at watch over your people, over men and women. And we know, Father God, that you are in control of this election. Father God, your psalmist said, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Psalms 47, for God is the king of all earth. Sing praises with the psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. And Father God, we trust in you. On this um, 
Election Day, this Sunday before Election Day 2020, we know, Father God, that our trust is in you. Father God, um, we know that you already know the outcome of this election, and we pray that as Christians, as followers of Christ, that we do not fall into a state of despair if our candidate or our party is not chosen by the nation. And Father God, just as importantly, if our candidate or our party is chosen as Christians, we praise, we pray, Father God, that we not be boastful or prideful. In fact, Father God, we pray that you hope us show empathy to those who do go into despair. Father God, um, we trust in you and only in you. Father God, our trust is in you. It's not in kings and queens and princes. It's not in senators and congressmen and governors, and it's, our trust is not in the president of this country. Father God, our trust is in you. And we pray, Father God, that we keep that trust in you, whatever the results of this election be. Father God, your psalmist said in Psalm 146, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Our trust is in you, Lord. And Father, over these next few days, I pray that you would help us to have the big picture of what you're doing, that we would acknowledge your sovereignty that we would in the coming days remember to trust you and you alone. And Father, for our part, not just the relationship that we have with you, but God, the, the horizontal relationship that we have with our fellow man, Father, I pray that we would be people who pursue peace. Father, that regardless of the outcome, regardless of the outcomes with the local, state, and national election coming up, a, a big year. I pray that we would be people who pursue peace. Father, I pray that we would live the words of the writer of Hebrews, who wrote in Hebrews 12, 14, that we should strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see you, God. I pray that we as Christ followers would lead the way in pursuing the peace that you promise to give, that you alone can give. And Father, lastly, I pray that we would be people who not only pursue peace, that we would be people who promote unity, whatever may come. Father, I pray that we would live the words of 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9, when your word says to us, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And Father, I pray that we would acknowledge your sovereignty, that we would trust in you and your your authority, that we would be people who pursue peace and promote unity, realizing that there's none of us, none of us who's unimportant to you, that we are all your children. 
that we are all brothers and sisters and we are sons and daughters of the one true king, you. I pray that you would go before us this election day. Father, I pray that you would be in control of it all and help us for our part to remember your sovereignty, to trust in your authority, to pursue peace and promote unity. And we ask this in the strong and the mighty name of the King of whom we are sons and daughters. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.